Amen. Thank you, worship team. So appreciate you. Welcome this morning. I give you warm greetings from my, not only myself, but my wife, Yvonne, who's watching at home right now, along with the staff and the church leadership. We love you and so happy that you have joined us this morning uh, to not only worship the Lord, but to also hear what God has to say to us. In a moment, I'm going to share God's word, uh, but I want to just talk about two things. First, I want to just thank you for those of you who have uh, taken our survey. We so appreciate the input that you're giving us. It's going to help us to make the right decisions. Uh, And based on that, and based on the current events, and by that I mean the demonstrations that have occurred and continue to occur, uh, where we see people that are not socially distancing and some even not wearing masks. Because of that, and because of the July 4th weekend, which we were originally planning on, we were opening, we felt a lot of people are going to be barbecuing with friends and family and hopefully socially distancing. But in the event that they're not, we felt it would be wise to postpone our opening from July into the beginning of August. Uh, So, uh, we want you to know about that. That's our new target date, uh, first Sunday in August, uh, to have services. We will keep you abreast of that, obviously. Uh, we want you to continue to pray for God's guidance in this matter. Uh, we look forward to the day that we can go gather together in God's house. But for right now, we believe that uh, we're, the sheltering in place is the way God is leading us as a congregation. Now, Let's get into uh, the word of the Lord this morning. There are two basic perspectives in life by which you and I tend to make decisions. Two basic perspectives, how we see things in life. There is what's called the short-sighted perspective. And the short-sighted perspective means that uh, we're, we're concerned with the present moment. Uh, and we're focused on much smaller details. And I'll give you an example about from that in a moment. Uh, and the other perspective is the far-sighted perspective, where our concern is not for today so much as for the future. And so the, the focus tends to be on a much bigger picture. Uh, by example, if uh, I am uh, a teenager, uh, I can uh, get to the place where I want to party now. I want to do what I want to do now and enjoy life here now. Then that's going, if, I, if that's my perspective, the here and the now, then that's going to govern my actions. And more than likely, I'm going to do a lot more partying than I'm going to do studying. But if my view is farsighted, then I'm thinking about my future and and having a career once I I graduate. And so I'm going to apply myself now because I'm working for the future. I have my eye on the bigger picture, not on the moment. And so uh, this farsighted and and short-sighted, these are the two basic perspectives that you and I have the tendency to structure our life around. And today I want to put these perspectives 
in a, in a spiritual context, if you will. Uh, the short-sighted perspective, we are going to look at that as if it's man's view. The short perspective, which tends to be to today, here and now. Uh, and we're going to look at that as this is man's view. Whereas the far-sighted perspective, which operates and works with the future in mind, well, we're going to look at that as God's view. So we've got man's view, and we've got God's view. And so we're going to look at how these two perspectives play out in our life. In fact, a great illustration of, of these two is found in Matthew chapter 16, By way of illustration, look at Matthew chapter 16 with me. I'm going to begin reading in the 21st verse. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, He would be raised from the dead. Verse 22, but Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him saying such things, for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You see things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. So you get the picture. Jesus now is telling the disciples about what's going to happen in the future. Uh, The fact that he has to go to Jerusalem, and once he's there, he's going to be arrested uh, by the the religious leaders and ultimately handed over to Rome, and they're going to... uh, uh, begin to beat him, and ultimately hang him on the cross. But he would rise on the third day. Peter now gets rebuked by the Lord. Notice because he processed what Jesus said from man's point of view. Peter was thinking about the here and the now and and how Jesus could help the, the Hebrew nation, Israel, how he could help them now to be free from Roman oppression. He was the Messiah. That's what uh, the the Hebrew mindset thought. The Messiah is going to come and he's going to free us from Roman oppression. And so Peter had man's view in mind, and so he reprimands the Lord because he's looking at what God said from man's view, from man's perspective. Now, it's important that we remind ourselves of a very familiar passage to most of us that talks about these two different perspectives in this way. In in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. This is God speaking to his people. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So in other words, here God is reminding us all that man's view 
is different from God's view. God is saying, the way I process things, the way I look at life, the way I operate from is different from the way you operate from. They are totally different, totally apart, and that is why I believe there are times that you and I are confused by what God does and sometimes by what God doesn't do. We, we look at our God through the lens, through this perspective of man's view. And so when God doesn't operate the way we expect him to operate, then we get into that place where we're now, all of a sudden, we are confused, we're disappointed with God, and sometimes we get even angry with God. It's all because we have this human tendency to evaluate life and evaluate God from man's view. In other words, when I pray, I'll tend to ask God to do something, and what I'm, I, when I'm, I may not vocalize it, but when I'm asking God to do something, I'm really saying, God, here and now. God, would you heal here and now? I'm not talking about the future. I want God to do it immediately. I want God, God, would you bless me? I'm not talking about God blessing me five years from now. I want God to bless me here and now. We tend to focus our, our Christian life around man's view. In other words, we look at this life in such a way that we want everything here and now, and we tend to focus on some smaller details whereby God instead looks at us, and he operates from a totally different view, from God's view, and everything that God does isn't for today necessarily, but more for tomorrow. And God operates from that big picture, you see. And today, I want to help us understand this better by looking at the life of a man named Joseph. It was recorded in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. We're going to look at how God's view comes in operation in the life of Joseph. Beginning in uh, chapter 37. So if you have the Bible, turn to chapter 37 of the book of Genesis. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 5. One night, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed that low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon, Joseph had another dream, and again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and the 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, 
his father wondered what the dreams meant. Okay, so now, just to get the picture so you understand, Joseph is the youngest of all the brothers, but he's the one that's loved most by his father, which created jealousy in the lives, in the hearts of his, of his brothers. And now, he gets this dream from God that outlines what God's going to do in the future. That God is going to position him in such a way so that his brothers and his family, his parents, will bow down before him as Lord. So, first thing I want to talk to you, here's my first point that I want to bring out to you from God's view. The first point, number one, listen, God sees or he sees and operates from what we will be, not what we are. He sees and operates from what you will be and not what you are. The youngest brother, Joseph, in in their culture, there is no way possible that Joseph would one day rule over his brothers and even over his parents. As the youngest, he was the least important in the family in that culture. So there's no way that Joseph in his right mind would have ever thought that he would ever rise to a position where he would actually now rule over his entire family. And as you can tell, his family thought, And his father thought, this is crazy. You're thinking that there's no way you would ever rule over us. Typically, when the father died, the the ruling of the family went to the oldest brother, not the youngest. So Joseph now receives this dream from God about what God is going to do. Now, the, the family saw Joseph from man's view because they said, there's no way that you are ever going to be a ruler. You're never going to be our king. But from God's view, God saw Joseph as a ruler. Now, let me help us uh, connect that with us. God always operates from his view in our life. And for us, we tend to evaluate what God speaks into our life and into our hearts, we evaluate it from the perspective of man's view. Let me, let me give you an understanding. In other words, when the first time that God spoke to me, it was in a prayer meeting many, many years ago that God was going to bring me into the ministry to make me a pastor. The moment I received that from the Lord, The first thing I did was to evaluate myself, to look at my life and say, can I measure up to that? Am I qualified for that? Is that something that I could see happening in my life? And I believe God always operates, remember, from that point of view, not who we are currently, but what we shall be. And God spoke that into my heart but I had a difficult time accepting that. I had a difficult time receiving it because I was operating from my view. I just couldn't see myself ever as a pastor. And 
many of us struggle with God using us, with God's purpose for our life, because we have this tendency to look at ourselves and we see all of our imperfections. I know if you're like me, that's a great struggle for you. Because you feel there's no way that God could ever use me because I don't see a, a servant of God. I see a failure. I see somebody who's not in the place he ought to be spiritually. I see all of my faults. So therefore, there's no way God could ever use me. It can't be true. But God always operates from his point of view. And obviously, as you can tell, today I'm a pastor. Now, some in my congregation, some in my staff, don't believe I'm that good of a preacher. Some that might even be here right now in the room. And I don't disagree with them. But I am what I am. See, God operates in my life. Not from my point of view, certainly not from his point of view, but from his point of view. In fact, let me just end this note on that line because sometimes family, your biological family and even your church family, they can't see the potential that you have to be used by God because they're looking at you through man's view. We need to be careful about that because we, we have this tendency to evaluate people based upon what we see physically rather than what God sees, what God speaks. We all have incredible potential to be used by God, not because we have arrived at any spiritual stature, but because of God's grace and God's mercy, that's how God operates in all of our lives and through all of our lives. It's not a matter of us qualifying. It's a matter of God's grace. Would you say amen to that? That's a good thing to know. So, let's ask God to help us to see people not through man's view, but through God's view. Let's ask God to help us focus even our own heart and our own life, not through man's view, but to God's view, so that we don't deny and run away from God's purpose for our life simply because we feel we don't qualify for it. Because in truth, no one qualifies to be used by God. It is all about his grace and his mercy. May God help us to see others through that, his view. Okay, now, in the rest of this chapter, Joseph's brothers are out tending the flock, and, and Joseph is sent by his dad to go check uh, on them and see how they're doing. They saw him coming from a distance, and they now, remember, they're jealous already of him because he's dad's favorite, and now he's got these two dreams about them bowing and becoming his king. And so now they, they devise this plan as they see him approaching and say, let's get rid of this guy. And originally they wanted to kill him, 
But then one of them had this idea as they saw some Ishmaelites come in. They said, let's grab him and sell him into slavery, which they do. So now, think about that for a moment. Joseph's own brothers committed an act of injustice. We talked about injustice last uh, week. Here, his own family, his own brothers committed this act of injustice, selling him into slavery. Well, these Israelites went to Egypt, and there they sold Joseph. Uh, He was purchased by a man named Potiphar, and uh, he begins to uh, work for Potiphar. Now, Potiphar had a wife that looked at Joseph and now wanted and tried to seduce Joseph to, uh, to have uh, sexual intercourse with him. But Joseph, who was a righteous man, said, no, there's no way I'm going to do that. And he, ref- he kept dodging her and eluding her and refraining from her until one day now she commits an act of injustice against Joseph because one day she falsely accuses him of trying to sexually molest her. Uh, She told that to her husband. And as a result of that, her husband got angry, and he now has Joseph imprisoned in jail. So Joseph is now in prison in jail uh, because a second act of injustice was committed against him. Now that brings me to my second point regarding God's view. The first point, remember, is he sees and operates from what you will be, not what you are. The second point is his purpose for your life may not unfold as you expect. His purpose for your life may not unfold as you expect. What do I mean by that? Listen, let's talk about man's view, man's perspective. As a Christian, Once I embrace Jesus Christ as my Savior, and once I embrace the the purpose, the plan that God has for my life, man's view has a tendency to kick in, and all of a sudden, I start to believe God is going to move in such a powerful way. God's going to move in such an awesome way, and God is going to take care of me now. Why? Because God has a plan for my life. That's man's view. But notice, God had a purpose for Joseph's life and revealed that purpose to him. And Joseph, if he operated from man's view, would now recognize, I'm God's man. God is going to do something awesome in my life. And all of a sudden now, thinking that that was going to work out great, he finds himself uh, in prison falsely accused, wondering what in the world is going on, what happened to God's plan, what happened to the fact that I'm going to be a a, a king one day, my brothers are going to bow down to me. Now I I find out my own brother sold me into slavery, and this other uh, woman, this witch, she's committed some act of injustice against me. And it's very easy for you and I to look at this and say, why did God allow these injustices? justices to happen. If Joseph was God's man, why did God allow this to happen? 
And moreover, why did God allow them to prevail? I mean, it, they happened, but why didn't God cor- correct the injustice? It's very easy for you and I to look at uh, Joseph's life at the end and say, okay, now we understand. But in that moment, when things don't happen the way we think they should go, that's man's view. I, 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 God's going to call me into the ministry. Therefore, I, I, I know God's going to do some awesome things in my life. And all of a sudden, things don't go the way I thought they should go. And all of a sudden, you're wondering, what happened to God's plan? Why didn't God why did God allow this to happen? You see, God's view is outlined again for us in Romans 8:28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. See, when we read that verse, we begin to think Man's view, God works all things for the good. That means God's going to watch over on me and God's going to protect me. And even if somebody tries to do something and commit an act of injustice, God's not going to let it happen or God's going to correct it right away. See? But God didn't correct the injustices in Joseph's life right away, did he? No, years went by as Joseph had to deal with and suffer from all of these injustices. God used the injustices in Joseph's life to uniquely position him to fulfill his purpose. On his own, Joseph would have never gone down to Egypt. On his own, even if he'd gone down to Egypt as a foreigner, he would have never been given an audience with Pharaoh. Moreover, Pharaoh, even if he gave him an audience, would have never listened to this crazy plan that Joseph had regarding the famine. Ultimately, God allowed all of these injustices. He worked it out for the good. How? Because it was positioning Joseph so that he can fulfill God's purpose. See, the good that God works out isn't the good that you and I have in mind. That's man's view. God works all things for the good. Okay, man's view, man, I'm going to be a blessed man. God's going to bless me with a great job. God's going to, in that job, God's going to give me promotion. I'm going to make a great career out of this thing, and I'm going to bless also that, because, you know, so I can tithe and bless the Lord, work of the Lord, and, I, and then God's going to give me health, and God's going to watch over my health and take care of me, and, and God's going to prosper me in my ministry. Why? Because God told me he's got a plan for my life. And then things happen, and we wonder, what happened to that plan? And what we're really saying is, according to my view, this plan isn't working out the way I thought it would work out. Why? Because I have my own good in mind. And God's saying, no, the good that I have in mind, that I work out everything for the good, the good is the purpose that I have for your life. That's the good. And God used the injustices to uniquely position Joseph 
so that he could fulfill his purpose. And ultimately, Joseph recognized this. Because we find in, in Genesis, in chapter 45, when Joseph had gotten to the point where his, initially when his brothers went down to buy grain, they did not recognize that it was Joseph. And on the, on the second trip, uh, they didn't recognize it. And so now the third trip, they come down with the father and whatever. And I'm sorry, in the second trip, they recognize Joseph now finally chooses to reveal himself to his brothers. They're in shock. They thought Joseph, they didn't know where, what happened to him. He was sold into slavery. As far as they're concerned, he was dead or he was out somewhere being a slave. But here he is, the second in command in all of Egypt, the man that they have to bow down to and have bowed down to in order to buy grain. And Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. And he says in Genesis chapter 45, verse 5, it was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. And again, in the same chapter, in the eighth verse, so it was God who sent me here, not you. Joseph finally saw his life through God's view. He looked at his life and he recognized it wasn't my brothers who sold me into slavery. It wasn't my brothers who brought me down to Egypt. It wasn't my brother uh, or this even Potiphar's wife that caused me to get in prison. It wasn't any of those human beings that did that. The one that was been orchestrating my life all along was none other than God. God did this. And he did it. Joseph said, God sent me here to preserve your life. Everything that happened to me, the injustices in my life, everything that occurred, God was working everything out for the good. In other words, he saw his life finally from God's view. Instead of focusing on the immediate, the here, the now, and even these smaller issues, Joseph finally saw the big picture. You see, we tend to, to look at, in man's view, we tend to look at individual events in our life. Today, I lost my job uh, because somebody uh, said something that wasn't true, but the boss believed it. They, it's some, an injustice. That isn't fair, God. I don't understand. Why would you let that happen? And we tend to, through man's view, to look at single events rather than looking at our life through God's view because God looks at the whole big picture, and he knows what's going to happen from this moment to the next moment. And the moment after that, God has already has that all planned. But when we look at our life through man's view, we get caught up in that one circumstance, that one issue, and we get frustrated with God, we get angry with God, we don't understand what God is doing. But ultimately, through God's grace and mercy, we often can see, looking back, that God had a great plan all along. I know most of you, if you've been walking with the Lord for a while, you know what I'm talking about. Where you can look back on your life and thought about some event that occurred that wasn't a pleasant event, 
But God used that to bring you to the place where you are today. And although you didn't see it then, you see it now. We no longer say, well, I never expected my life to turn out that way. I I thought it would turn out better. But God has a purpose and a plan. See, I believe God will work every issue out for the good, for the fulfillment of his purpose in my life. That's the big picture. I don't focus on individual moments, individual circumstance. I trust that my God, has a, who has a plan for my life, will work everything out for the fulfillment of his purpose. That's good. Now, one other little thought about this before I move on to my final thought. Notice that if you read that chapter, you will find Joseph sold into slavery to Potiphar. While he's a slave to Potiphar, he worked diligently for Potiphar. And the Bible says very specifically that God was with Joseph so that everything that Joseph did was blessed by God. And Potiphar, who was not a child of God, who was not a believer, he, but he was smart enough to see something. He said, everything that Joseph does comes out excellent. I'm prospering because of everything that Joseph does. So what he did is he put Joseph in charge of his entire estate. Joseph, the only one that you report to is me. Everybody else reports to you. And because he did that, Potiphar was blessed because Joseph didn't allow the injustice of being sold into slavery to derail his life, to derail his integrity. And then, when Potiphar's wife lied about him, and Joseph was cast into prison, once again we find that in prison, Somehow, some way, we're not giving details, but somehow everything that Joseph did while he was in prison was blessed by God. For the Bible says once again that God was with Joseph in the prison. And this time, it was the warden of the prison who saw, man, everything that Joseph does is blessed. And so Joseph rose up to another prominent position even in the prison. You get the picture? Here's a guy that no matter what injustices were committed against him, he didn't allow injustices to derail his life. He made the best out of that situation because God was with him. Last point. Number three, in God's view, listen, he will bless you in unexpected ways and places. He will bless you in unexpected ways and places. Joseph was given a wife by Pharaoh. And we find in chapter 41, in the 51st verse, Joseph has now a son. Joseph named his older son Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my troubles 
and everyone in my father's family. So Joseph named his second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. Two children, two sons, and both of them, he named them uh, so that it communicated his spirit within him. He realized, man, I came down to Egypt as a slave and then even ultimately as a prisoner. I'm in a foreign land. And now in that place where in the natural I would never want to be, in that place where I would never want to be, God has blessed me. You see, man's view is this. Blessing means getting physically out of a bad situation today. In other words, if I'm in a situation that I feel is not healthy for me, not good for me, a place I don't want to be in the natural, then I want to get out of that situation today. Not tomorrow, not next week, today. I want God to do something in a miraculous way to get me out of that. And God may do that, but for the most part, I think the problem we have is we tend to operate with that man's view that today is the day that I need to get out of this circumstance. It's why people quit jobs without God telling them. We got a job that God got us, and we give glory to God. Praise God, he got me this wonderful job. Oh, I love it. It's a great pay increase and all that. And then a couple of months later, maybe things are happening, and uh, things are not turning out the way you thought they would turn out. There's issues here. There's issues there on the job. And all of a sudden now, you make the decision to operate from man's view and say, I'm out of here. And now all of a sudden, it's not the job that God got you. It's the job that you want God to get you out of. Rather than stay put and watch God bless you in that place of difficulty. It's why people look to leave marriages prematurely. They, they, marriage has some issues, and now all of a sudden, now, you know, when they said, I do at the altar, it was all goo-goo-eyed, and I love you to death do us part, and yet now, I, I, I believe that vow to death do you part. Your death, not my death. And we look at that thinking, like, I, I just got to get out of here or I'm going to die. This is not working for me. I, I got to get out of this marriage now rather than staying in the place where God brought you and believing that God can bless me in that place. God can bring about an incredible blessing. Here's God's view. Listen, I don't need to change your environment in order to bless you. Let me say that one more time. This is from God's view. I don't need to change your environment physically in order to bless you. God blessed Joseph in the place of of, of Egypt, the foreign land among the foreign people. God blessed him tremendously, gave him a wife, gave him two kids, gave him a phenomenal job. God did all of that. Notice what Joseph said uh, in verse uh, 52. He said, God made me fruitful in the land of my grief. Some translation, in the land of my suffering. See, man's view, I don't want that kind of blessing. 
I want to be blessed in the good land. I want to be blessed in the land flowing with milk and honey. I don't want to be blessed in the land of my grief. But God often wants to show us, I want you to know that I'm the God of the land flowing with milk and honey, and I am the God in the land of your suffering. And whichever one you're in, I can still bless you there. I don't need to move you to a place that you think is blessed in order to spiritually bless you and to make a way for you. One last verse as the worship team prepares to come. In Psalm 23, verse 5, it says, You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. God often chooses to leave us in the place of our grief in order to demonstrate that he can bless us, that he can keep us. In order to show us the, his power, his might, think about the, the psalmist is saying, God, you prepared a table for me to feast on, and I'm surrounded by my enemies. And yet you want me to sit down in that place and enjoy this feast. And God is saying, yeah, because, you see, I'm here. As long as you have my presence, I will watch over and protect you. I want to demonstrate to you that I can keep you in, no matter what your environment that you are in. I can demonstrate my grace and my power in your life. Blessed be his wonderful name. Remember, God was with Joseph when he was enslaved. God was with Joseph when he was imprisoned. God is with us even if our most difficult place. No matter what we may find ourselves in today, we have a heavenly Father who wants us to see life through his view. That he operates and sees you and I not from what we are, but what we shall be. That he's per his purpose for your life may not unfold the way you expect. So don't get frustrated. Don't get angry with God. God will work everything out for the good. And then lastly, that he will bless you in unexpected ways unexpected places.